Welcome to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Thursday night, close to 11 o'clock p.m. Chris Fedor, Joe Varden with you. Finally, Joe, after everything that the Cavs have been through in the regular season, the playoffs are here. The team is ready. They were sort of on the court today, mostly a film session, mostly a meeting, get-together. They've got the Indiana Pacers on Sunday for Game 1. That is the first-round opponent. Uh, Does it feel good that we have finally got to this point? It feels good that Artemi Panarin puts one in the back of the net in overtime (laughs) to lift the Columbus, our Columbus Blue Jackets, the state of Ohio's Columbus Blue Jackets, to a Game 1 victory over the Washington Capitals in Washington tonight. And, you know, we, we delayed the taping of this podcast to watch the conclusion of it. I know you were on your uh, you were on the, the edge of your seat, uh, <laughs> as was I. And um, you know, as a former Columbus resident, yeah, who for those four years was was not working in sports, so I had time to uh, to watch kind of what you know to, to pick what I watched. I watched a lot of Blue Jacket hockey, and uh, it was good to see. Okay, so you said our Columbus Blue Jackets. I don't know that I fully grasp that concept. And maybe because it's the state capital, so technically it's ours. But we don't call them our Cincinnati Bengals just because they're in the state of Ohio. So why are they our Columbus Blue Jackets? <laughs> I'm just wondering. They're, they're, they're just, you know, I mean, there's one pro hockey team. Uh, or, or you know, big league hockey team in the state, yeah. and, and so it's like it's and they're in the center of the state. Uh-huh. So I think we can all just kind of just gather around. Okay, but before the Blue Jackets were around, I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna make a lot of enemies at this point. Before the Blue Jackets were around, I used to play some hockey growing up. Sometimes rollerblading and then shooting into a net like on the street, kind of like Mighty Duck style. Or sometimes it was just like for fun when we would go to an ice skating rink for birthday parties when I was in grade school. So because I kind of skated around, I played a little bit of hockey, you know, I became a fan of, I think it was the Detroit Red Wings and sort of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Sure, of course. So like, absolutely. do I have to abandon those teams now that the Columbus Blue Jackets are here? You know what, honestly, um... I think that's actually a fair question, Thank and, you. and you you don't. Okay. Um, but like, you know, those four years that I lived in Columbus, you know, some of our listeners know I covered politics. Yeah. Um, but before that, I mean, I came up in sports, um, had done, you know, major college football, major league baseball, um, and when I went to my first hockey game, my first Blue Jackets hockey game, I was just shocked at how fun it was to be there at, mm. at a hockey event live and the the atmosphere you know i mean the, the blue jackets do not have a great history they don't have they're not like totally steeped in tradition like you know the original eight and and, and all those other uh, uh, arenas but but to me it really was special and i thought the atmosphere in there was awesome, mm. and they've got this can- cannon that they fire every time they <laughs> score. Um, and it was just, for me, like living in Columbus, 
that was my team. Like that, that was, and you know, I really started to like uh, Ohio State kind of in a way that I never had before, just because I lived there. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And and so it was just yeah. I mean, so so for me, it was great, and um, and and like that's kind of how I was really introduced to hockey. I mean, you know, when we were kids, we're I'm a little bit older than you, but but when we were kids is when the Penguins were really good, sure. like Lemieux and Yager and all yeah. that, and so. Between them and then NHL 93 for Sega Genesis, (laughs) like that's basically like how you got into hockey or if you were a Northeast Ohio kid in the, in the 90s. Um, so yeah, so we all kind of like watched the Penguins if and when we bothered with hockey. Um, but then as an adult, that's how I got into it with, with the, the jacket. So, um, so if I like them and I've lived virtually all over the state in all corners, Mm -hmm. uh, so then they must be Ohio's team. So there you go. So from Columbus to Cleveland now, and now you're covering the Cavs with me here at Cleveland.com, and we were there today. <laughs> this is your, like, this is like your snap me back to reality yes. uh, like transition. So yes, go ahead. That's exactly right. I'm trying to get it back on track here. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we were there today. Ty Lu talked. George Hill talked. We know the opponent. It's the Indiana Pacers um, going into the regular season finale. There was... Um, some chance of the Cavs getting the number three seed, maybe playing the Milwaukee Bucks. Instead, Philadelphia rolled over Milwaukee. The Cavs lost against the New York Knicks. So the Cavs end up the four seed. Um, and if they're going to win an NBA championship, they're going to have to do something that only, I think, one other team has done recently. It was the Houston Rockets in, like, 1995 uh, to win an they NBA were the championship. 60, weren't they? they were the sixth seed, I think. Yes, Correct. So below, so four or below, um, the Rockets were the last team to do that, and and that's kind yeah. of the path that faces the Cavs right now. Your initial thoughts on on this draw that they've got? Um, well, I think that like from a championship perspective, I don't think that's the discussion the Cavs want to have right now okay. or are ready to have right now. I mean, so George we Hill he mentioned it, you know, today talking about well, this is my. I have an opportunity to win a championship, but I think LeBron doesn't want to go there yet, and and really they shouldn't because this is going to be a team that whoever they played um, in in the early rounds of the playoffs was going to need some of these games to continue to build the continuity that other teams had built uh, leading up to this point. And so, um, I mean, we've been talking all year, and, and this team has changed so many times, like we we've been we've been talking all year about um, how we didn't think the Cavs were close enough to the Warriors. We thought we thought they got closer. Um, then I think for a while we probably didn't. Um, I, I think it's it's hard to make the case right now that the Cavs can win it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I th- but I think you can see the path to get there. Okay, let's start with the Indiana Pacers because it's the first round playoff opponent. Um, I think LeBron said something after the game against the New York Knicks that, that caught you, caught me, caught other reporters, saying, it depends what Cavs team shows up. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I mean, I think that speaks volumes about uh, just, I don't know that it's their approach going into this Indiana series, or the realities that face them going into this Indiana series. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a hard one to unpack. I mean, you could take it as a kind of a warning shot at uh, at Rodney. Sure. Um, 
just because I mean, I mean, Rodney has missed you know chunks of time since the All Star break with uh, I mean, my, I guess you'd say minor injuries, right. and, and I mean, after he came back from he, he had he missed a couple stints because of his back, and then when he came back the second time, he said, "I'm back for the rest of the year. I'm playing." Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, he's got this Achilles injury that. Um, he's he's probable before the game in New York and then doesn't play. And he's got this kind of history of doing the same thing with the Jazz. And um, so you could take it that way, mm-hmm. or you could say you could say, well, what I mean here is that we've been kind of schizo all year, and um, are we the team? Are we going to be the team that won eleven out of its last fourteen? Um, if we are great, but if we're somebody else, like that was kind of struggling before that, then we won't. Could be that. Um, so it's, it, it is fascinating. I, I think what um, later in that same that same uh, conference, you know, I, I reminded LeBron that every year since we've all been together, mm-hmm. at least once during the season, he has declared that his team was was uh, fit to win a championship. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, he hasn't done it this year. And so I said, you know, what do you think about that now? He's like, well, we got a chance because we're one of, one of 16 teams in the playoffs. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think, I think that he needs to see it from, from several guys. Mm-hmm. And I think he wants to see them put it together over time. But I just, I, I, I don't think he's, Sounding a, a warning bell for the Pacers, but you know, there's that remains to be seen. But I do think it's interesting because you know, this is a different team. I think we've all come to understand that. But but if you look at some of the questions that they have going into this postseason series against Indiana, none of this means that they can't win the series against the Pacers. None of this means that the Cavs can't get back to the NBA Finals. But the questions that they have. I would say that list is probably longer than the questions that a lot of these other teams in the East or the West have at this point. And I think it's fascinating, Joe, that during a playoff series, while it's going on, Ty Lue and the Cavs are going to be learning about themselves and answering questions about themselves. Like, what is our best defensive scheme for our personnel? They don't know that yet. Like, what is their best play offensively? Um, or their best set offensively. I don't know that they fully know that. Um, How are certain guys going to react to being on the postseason stage? How is Kevin Love going to be as the second option as opposed to the third option? Um, They probably have a better idea of that because of Kevin's resume and the fact that he's been uh, good at times throughout postseason series. But this is a different role for him. And I think Ty is still trying to figure out, okay, I'm going to go with this 10-man rotation, but but what are the best combinations within that 10-man rotation that's going to bring the best out of my team? And I think that's it's a tough spot for any team to be going in when you're talking about the playoffs and another team digging into you, seeing you over and over and over again. And I, I guess... Like, they can overcome all of that, and and LeBron can make it so none of that matters. I just think it's a fascinating subplot to this postseason run for the Cavs compared to the last three. Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree with all of that. 
Um, except for the best offensive play, which is give it to LeBron and get the hell out of the way. <laughs> um, you know, uh, other than that, uh, yeah, I, I totally, I, I, I just agree. I, I think you're right on the money there, and it, it is that thing, but it kind of, it, it is related to what I was saying at the top of this, which is just that the Cavs were going to be and are a team that needs to use some of these playoff games to continue to figure out um, who they are, mm-hmm. and I think because of the other stuff you said, like that they have LeBron who can who can mitigate so many of these problems. I, I think for them that's okay. Yeah, that's why right. I think you and I both thought it was important to get that three seed, so you could do this. In a, you know, um, in a first round that you you should win, no matter wh- where you are, and right. then. In the second round against either a depleted Boston team who doesn't match up well with you anyway or um, whoever would upset them. Right. That would have been great. Right. That would have been great. Two full rounds against um, teams that you really should beat and then you get into the conference finals and maybe you have a sense of who you are. And now the way it's going to work is you're going to grind it out against this Indiana team that's that's pretty good. They're not great, but they're pretty good. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then you got to deal with Toronto in the second round. So um, brace up. But I, I think that the best thing is the Cavs had a ton of adversity over the last two months, um, and to win uh, eleven out of fourteen, and you know they basically punted on the last one. So you lost that one. You lost the second night of the back-to-back in Philly when you were down 30 and, and end up losing by two in a game you could have won. Um, so I, I think they feel I think they feel good about what they were able to do at the end. Mm-hmm. And now it's time to start, start answering some of those questions you raised. So Ty said earlier today he's going to go with a 10-man rotation, in the first round anyway, and he wants to see how mm-hmm. that's going to look. Um, are you surprised by that number one? And do you feel like you've got a sense of of which ten? No, um, no, I'm not. I'm not surprised just because um, just everything we've been saying about they need more time to figure out who it is. To get a little bit deeper into this, he doesn't know who he trusts yet. Okay, um, right. You know, he, he, you know. Of course, we've got one guy he trusts, and sure. then so long as he's upright, Kevin Love is the guy you trust. Um, Ty has such a, a history with with Jeff Green, and Jeff's been so good since they've been starting him um, that that's a guy you trust. That's that's a really good front line there. But then he's got to figure out what he's going to get out of his backcourt, and he's got to know who are the three bench guys that he can count on in a final. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, there's just no way he can know that, yet. and. Um, so I think it makes sense to go with 10. I think that the 10 are LeBron, George Hill, Rodney Hood, Kevin Love, and Jeff Green, mm-hmm. followed by Jose Calderon, Jordan Clarkson, Kyle Korver, J.R. Smith, and Larry Nance. Yeah. Um, I, I think that if uh, if anything happens to Jetty, or excuse me, if anything happens to Rodney, like it has been, or if Kyle can't get right, I think Jetty gets in there. Yep. Um, you know, Tristan has all this experience in the finals. He's had been up and down in the finals. Um, had the worst year of his career basically this year. 
you know, obviously there's other stuff going on with him. Um, so it looks like he's kind of out for now. But I think if push came to shove, you would play him before you play Vizic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that looks like your roster. Yeah, and I think if we talk about this first-round matchup um, against the Pacers, I don't know. The one thing that I'm wondering, actually, before we get into that, I'm wondering when it comes down to Larry Nance Jr. and Tristan Thompson, I'm wondering what Ty Lue is going to uh, lean on to make that particular decision. Because if we go back to some years past, right, he had Channing Frye who brought uh, a specific skill set, and then he had uh, Richard Jefferson who brought a different skill set. So there was this mutual understanding between the two guys. Okay, if a team's going to play bigger and we need Channing's floor spacing and we need a bigger body and we need his three-point shooting, we're going to go with him. And uh, he came up big in the Indiana series in the first round and uh, against Toronto as well last year. And then Richard Jefferson was the guy who the Cavs used mostly against the Golden State Warriors and then to a lesser degree against Boston because Boston downsized. But, But the difference between those guys is that they brought different things to the table. You know, Tristan Thompson and Larry Nance Jr. are very, very similar, Joe. You can you can argue that Larry Nance Jr. is better. Uh, he's got more athleticism. He's got more hops. Maybe he um, is a better offensive player because he can knock down that 16 to 18 footer. But essentially, the things that you love about Larry Nance Jr., you also love about Tristan Thompson. So I, I don't know what's going to get Ty to say, all right, Nance is not good in this particular matchup. I've got to go to Tristan. Well, I think I disagree with you here. Okay. Um, because I think what they love about Tristan, or about Larry Nance, is his ability to grab the ball off the glass uh-huh. and push it, him, push it himself. Okay. Or to, um, to rebound an outlet quickly and beat his man down the floor. Uh-huh. Or to grind for an offensive rebound, fail, and win the race down the floor. Yeah. Um, and he's so, probably so a better defender as, this year, too. Yeah. yeah. And, and so long as the NBA stays as this like race car game up and down mm-hmm. um, and do- doesn't slow into the half-court stuff that we're used to seeing in the playoffs, um, that's why you love Larry Nance. Right. Uh, if you get into a half-court battle, the game slows. Like, you know, the Pacers didn't have Miles Turner earlier in the year when they were beating up on the Cavs. Yeah. Um, if they got to play slower because Miles is out there, then maybe that's how Tristan gets in there. If they see the, the Sixers in the conference finals, um, and Embiid will be back by then, they won't be the same race car team that they were the other night in Philly. Gotcha. Um, so then maybe you have Tristan out there more than Larry to kind of bang around with those big guys. So I think that's what the difference would be. That's interesting. So in this series against Indiana, you think it's more favorable for Larry Nance Jr.? Well, just because we know, I mean, the Pacers love to run. Yeah, um, right. And they, I mean, they, they made they made it a quick game in the games that they won over the Cavs. Um, so, yeah, so heading into it, you would think that's the case. Um, but Larry Nance has never played a playoff game before. Tristan's played a ton of them. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's raised a trophy. And so you can't discount that. So I think Larry gets the first crack, but if the moment's too big for him, um, Tristan, Tristan's there. Ty Lue said earlier today um, that Kyle Korver is getting better. 
Uh, he's not 100%, but he's getting better. He's been dealing with that foot issue for quite some time now. Um, how much of a concern do you think that is to the Cavs going into this first round? Oh, I think it's a big concern. I think it's huge. Um, I think that, if anything, you know, Rodney Hood has kind of showed you what he showed you in Utah. Uh, considerable talent. Like, not LeBron, KD, Steph, Harden. Not, not that talent, but, but he's got... He, he has skill. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just don't know that he's proven by any stretch that you can count on. Um, so that leaves you with Corver as your guy who can who you can count on, and he stretches the floor and he makes a really tough to guard with him and LeBron and Kevin Love on the court together. Um, but if if he can't move and he can't get open and he can't stay with the guy he's supposed to guard, um, now you're one Rodney Hood disappearance away from having to go to a rookie, yeah, uh, Jetty who can't shoot. Um, so so yeah. But that's a concern, and they need Kyle to be as close to 100% as quickly as possible. And Kyle's been so good in the past, and I know Indiana has changed the roster um, and the guys that they used in the postseason last year. There are very few of those guys remaining on this year's team. But Kyle has torched Indiana in the past, and this is a matchup that you would think would be favorable for him because there isn't somebody else on the court um, that can exploit some of his deficiencies the way that a team like Golden State with so many playmakers and athletes could do that. So uh, I'm with you. I, I think if if you were to find if you were to find the best trio for the Cavs um, at any given time, I would think that it's probably LeBron, Love, Corver. Maybe you can argue that it's LeBron, Love, George Hill. I guess I haven't seen that enough because of the injury that he was dealing with. I just think the trio of Kyle, LeBron, Love epitomizes exactly how the Cavs want to play. Um, and it's it's almost too much for an opposing defense to handle with those guys on the court at the same time. I guess the, the best thing that the Cavs have going for them is that almost any offense that they have put out on the floor, except for the ones with Isaiah Thomas, <laughs> were too much were too much for most teams You're to right. handle. I mean, You're right. the Cavs, have cha- they have changed so many times. So many injuries, so many lines, seven point guards, and yet they have pretty much all year been fourth or fifth in the league offensively. Um, so that that's probably the best thing is that while we've been spending a lot of time both on this podcast and then like in the media room talking about well who do they trust and who's the third option and whatever, like. You might not have an answer, except it's always someone because this team is outscoring almost everybody. Right. And I think the other good thing for the Cavs from their standpoint is um, in most series, and probably, eh, I don't know about the Eastern Conference Finals, maybe we could argue Embiid-Simmons, but in most cases, until they get to the NBA Finals, their 1-2 is going to be a better response to that same question uh, that any other team could be asking about their top two guys. Um, I think we should. Uh, I, I don't know what I don't know uh, what you want to do here. I definitely want to get to the questions. Do you want to do like a rapid fire through the rest of the playoffs? Like, yeah, like one one spot per per round or yep. per per matchup. Or... Yeah, let's do that for sure. So you think Cavs in what five? I think Cavs in five, but the. Um, the starters are giving me indigestion, but I, I'll say Cavs in five. Cavs in five. That's what I think too. Um, 
I think the thing that the Cavs are going to benefit from in this particular series against Indiana is something similar to what they benefited from last year. Uh, Last year, they tried to take away Paul George and make the Pacers um, uncomfortable offensively. And and I think their, their strategy of take away the best player on the other team and make that team do something that they don't like to do, they're not accustomed to doing, I think that can make a team be a little bit panicky and a little bit frantic. And I think if the Cavs trap Oladipo, he's not the greatest ball handler. He's not the greatest passer. He's not the greatest initiator. Um, I think if they trap him and force the other guys to beat them, I think that's going to make Indiana's offense as a whole and Oladipo uncomfortable. And I think the Cavs are going to benefit from that. Um, So I think that's why they're going to win the series uh, and I, it could be a sweep, but I'm going to give Indiana one because of the questions that we said that the Cavs have going into this and because I think Nate McMillan is a really, really good coach, and I think coaching matters, obviously, in the postseason. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, as we've said, I, you know, it's hard to keep track of all the mediums we're on now, but on, on one of them, we, we just said uh, LeBron, he's won 21 straight first-round games, mm-hmm. arguably the best first-round player ever. Um, I, there's, there's just this does not feel like a time where history is about to be made. Yeah. So you like the Cavs, you like them comfortably. All right, one eight is the Raptors against the Wizards. Your initial thoughts on that series? Um, I like the Raptors. Um, I do not like the Wizards. Uh, I, I, I just, I mean, we've all watched them. They've right. been, they've been pretty poor. Um, over the last several weeks, uh, and you know, against the Cavs, blowing that seventeen-point lead was just no good. Um, so I like the Raptors. Here's my thing about the Wizards: um, they remind me, in a way, of the the Raptors from last year and the year before, where too much of their offense is reliant on inefficient shots. Um, When they were playing against the Cavs in that game where the Cavs were able to come from behind, a big part of that is because Washington settled for terrible shots. They have the propensity to melt when their half-court offense has to take over. And if you can keep them out of transition and force them to execute in the half-court, they rely so much on mid-range jumpers. And that is such a bad way to try and win a series especially nowadays, with the Raptors being different, with the Raptors being more efficient offensively, relying more on the three-pointer, being a better defensive team, having an improved bench. So Washington's got top-level talent with John Wall and Bradley Beal, but that team just doesn't work because I hate their style for a seven-game series. So I've got the Raptors winning that one as well, maybe even in five, to be honest with you, Joe. Okay. All right. Sounds good. No argument here. 2-7 is Boston, wounded Boston, against the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Marcus Smart remains out. Uh, no Kyrie Irving. Um, no Daniel Tice for the Celtics. Milwaukee did get Malcolm Brogdon back the other night. Matthew Dellavedova came back the other night. So it looks like Milwaukee is going to enter this matchup healthy. Uh, Celtics not healthy, um, but they obviously have home court advantage. So what are you thinking here? I love the Celtics system, and I mean, you have to say they have one because you don't win all these games with the absurd amount <laughs> of star player games missed to injury that they've had. Yep. Um, they also have some playoff experience. Uh, 
is not Tatum, but Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Morris and, and, and Horford, of course. Yep. Uh, Rose, you know, Rogier, you know, those guys, uh, I like it. Um, the thing with the Bucks is when are we going to see the considerable talent that they have? Oh, I know. Like, like finally translate. I mean, they have way more talent going into this particular series with the Celtics as banged up as they are. Yep. Way more talent. I mean, Giannis, there's not, there's, I mean, come on, man. You know, Giannis and Middleton and, and Jabari Parker come off the bench and they got all these guards. Yep. Bledstone, Brogdon, and now Delhi's coming back. And there's just no excuse, but, but they have just, you know, they the Bucks have been the same for two years, really. Yeah. Um, and you just wonder if this is the, the time. I think in a way they're similar to the Wizards. Like, you keep them out of transition. You don't let them use that crazy athleticism on the break. And I know it's easier said than done. But if that happens, and I think Boston has the style to prevent that from happening consistently, and you force the Bucks to continue to execute in the half court, I'm not sure that they're good enough offensively to do that against the number one defense in the NBA. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess they've proven to not be. Um, but again, it's just like... The star power over there and the talent over there. Yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and Boston's <laughs> relying. Just, uh, Boston's relying on so many young kids to play such big roles that that with that comes inconsistency. And you would think that eventually that would show up. And I know they were able to get through it in the regular season. And kudos to them. I think Brad Stevens deserves Coach of the Year for the way that he has maximized uh, that entire roster. But relying on young guys in the postseason can be really, really dangerous. So it means, to me, Al Horford's going to have to be consistent. And that's not something that has really been synonymous with him, especially when it comes to the playoffs. I think Boston gets by. I think this is a six- or seven-game series, though. Yeah, I think you're right. Next one is uh, 76ers and Heat. Thoughts there? I mean, I was thinking about this today. The the Sixers are just playing... Uh, such incredible basketball right now uh, overall um, I didn't like the way they played against the Hawks the other night but mm-hmm. geez, in the middle of a 16 game winning streak you're not going to always be sharp <laughs> um, Ben Simmons has been fantastic, J.J. Redick has been great um, I kind of poo-pooed the Bellinelli and Ilyasova uh, acquisitions yeah but, you did um, they've They've really uh, they've made a difference. Yep. Like you know, the Sixers have forced us to watch them, and in doing so, you can see you can see it. I, I do think the Heat can play the way the Sixers play. Mm. Um, they can be they can be small and quick and run, bomb threes and run all over the place like the Sixers are doing now. Um, they also have white sides, so if Embiid were to show up, um, you've got somebody who can stand there with Embiid. So. Um, it's, a, it's an intriguing matchup, but I do not see a uh, an upset coming. I like the Sixers. I like the Sixers, too. The thing that I would say about the Heat is that they just make um, opponents uncomfortable because of their style. And sometimes when when you're in a playoff series and things aren't coming the way that you're used to them coming offensively, and maybe you're not as sharp as, as you should be defensively because you don't have Joel Embiid as the anchor of that defense. Um, it can start to mess with you from a mental standpoint. Miami's style 
is mentally going to test the Sixers in a way that I think is going to be good for them moving forward if they get past Miami, and I think they've got more talent than the Heat. So I think they will get past Miami, and I think it's going to be really good for them to see this kind of team um, early on. All right, let's do the questions. All right, you ready? Yeah. GW2Dave, he says, were there any other players considered for that last roster spot other than Kendrick Perkins? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, they, they had the option to sign uh, John Holland to, mm-hmm. uh, to um, an NBA contract. You know, that was something that, that they, were, they were taking a look at. There were a couple other players out there. I mean, um, Kate Felder is available. Uh, and he's been on enough teams that they could they could take him now. Yeah. Um, so you know they had some they had some names, but um, this was this is not about something that's going to happen on the court. Right. This is about a locker room presence. I mean, think about what we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast, Joe. Um, they're already trimming Jetty Osman and Tristan Thompson. And we're wondering if they're even going to go from 10 to 9, 9 to 8, and and who those players are going to be that are out of the mix. So when you're talking about having to make decisions involving those guys, guys that you can make an argument that they deserve playing time based on the way that they played at times in the regular season, and we were having a conversation two, three weeks ago about whether or not there was even room for Jose Calderon on this playoff rotation, um that tells you that there is no need to add somebody else to the mix that's going to make your decision even tougher. Ty even said earlier today, he said the toughest thing for him, his biggest challenge is the fact that the team is entirely healthy. And when the team has been entirely healthy, that's when the Cavs have had the hardest time figuring out what they're going to do with their lineups and their rotation. So introducing somebody else who deserves playing time, um, I don't think that's the best thing for this group. No way. No, and that's not what happened here. All right. Um, Joe says, who do you think starts, Rodney Hood or Kyle Korver? Well, uh, as of this taping, I think it's Rodney. Um, but I, I'm telling you guys, they, they want to start Kyle. They just, I don't know if they believe they can right mm. now. I would want to start Kyle if I were the Cavs, too. Maximize the number of minutes that he plays with LeBron. And, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking on Thursday. Right. So the game's not till Sunday. So, yeah. I mean, we'll see. Who knows? That extra day could be helpful. And then their next game after that is Wednesday. And then it gets a little bit tighter with the Friday-Sunday thing. Um, but yeah. maybe that extra day will be helpful. Jordan wants to know, um, who do you think will be the third leading scorer for the Cavs throughout the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, we get this one, we get this one a lot. Um, probably Clarkson. Yeah, I think so, uh, too. Say, yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. That's wrong. I'm sorry. That's wrong. Jeff Green. Really? Jeff, Jeff Green's numbers. Yeah, Jeff Green's numbers as a starter are big. He's, he's uh, averaging, you know, over 10 points, and he's had six games of 15 or more. He had 33 in that game against the, uh, the Sixers. Um, he's, yeah, I, I like Jeff Green there as the third guy. Joe, I don't think that would be good for the Cavs, though. And you might be right. It might be him. I just don't think that would be good for the Cavs because that means his usage rating would be high. And the way that he gets the points, um, 
it's it's very different than how I think the Cavs would like to play. He has to use so many possessions, whether it's in the post or kickouts, passing up threes, driving to the basket. I don't know that that's the free-flowing offense that the Cavs need in the postseason. Well, I think you're right. Um, but I think that the, the problem that he poses, um, because if you remember when they first did this and you were talking about how this can allow a um, an opponent to put yeah. a smaller guy on Kevin. Yeah. The, the problem with that is if the Cavs are moving at all, then that big guy has to try to stay with Jeff. And so I'm okay with Jeff Green putting the ball on the floor against the bigger guy because I think he can get by him. Um, and so I feel like the usage rate there is okay. I, I think where you get into some trouble is where Jeff starts jacking threes. Right. Um, that, that's when you start, uh, you know, seeing some, some issues. But then again, he's actually hot right now. Three, sure. So, sure. Um, so yeah. So I, I mean, you would. I think we would all be. Certainly, the Cavs would be really happy if Jordan Clarkson was a consistent 15, 16 point guy off the bench. Um, never had to pull him mm-hmm. for silly turnovers or bad dribbling or terrible shots. Um, but he's been up and down. He, yeah. he has especially the last two weeks, so my money's on Jeff. What do you think about George Hill from that standpoint? Before he went down with that ankle injury, it looked like he was starting to get his rhythm. He was hitting that mid-range jumper. The 1-3 pick and roll was really, really devastating again. What do you think about him in that particular role? Well, it could be, certainly. I mean, I know what you're saying, and you've been kind of pushing that. Um, I think I think that, that that would probably be the best option for the Cavs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, with him too, I've just, I've watched him go scoreless in the first half and end up with eight points. Right. Um, that's just, that's, first of all, that, that's not going to cut it. Uh, but, but also, I've seen that enough to just say, I, I don't think they're thinking of him as the third guy right now. Yeah, probably right. Um, and then this question is toughest matchup for the Cavs in the Eastern Conference. Now that now that we've seen the draw, now that we've seen these teams play and what they have going into the postseason, uh, I think talent wise, it's the Sixers. Um, but I'm I'm way with you on the experience thing. Yeah. Um, and I just I, you can't take a team of I don't think you can take a team of rookies and trot them out there against LeBron yeah. with Kevin and you know a veteran group. I just I don't think that's going to work. So um, I don't know if you'd have to say Toronto, just because they're deepest, top to bottom, most down, top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I guess one of those two teams. I was thinking about this today. Um, what's the what's the most games that they've played to before they got to the NBA Finals? It was... Uh... They, they needed six to beat the, the Bulls right. in the first year. Right. And they needed six to beat Toronto, too, right? In the conference finals? Yeah, that's true. It, it is. Um, <laughs> that's but just it's like, You know, that series was 2-2, but then the Cavs beat them by 150 in those last two games. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, like, they, they were, they were um, a black timeout and then a LeBron baseline jumper from being down 3-1. Yep. And the series is over at that point. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously Ty tackled Black. Uh, <laughs> you know, left didn't look. Um, 
and they, you know, LeBron hit the jumper and the rest is history. But that one was much more dire than the uh, than the Toronto series. Do you think any of the series go seven this time around? I, I know it's early and you want to see the Cavs play in this first round against Indiana before making that determination. But but as of now, do you think any go seven? Well, I think we should walk off with this. I think that everybody involved should just be prepared for this to be tougher. Okay. Um, so, you know, could a series go seven? Sure. Um, but whether any series does or not, I don't think you're going to see ten straight like we've seen each of the first two years. Gotcha. For the last two years, excuse me. Yep. I'm right there with you. Um, before we walk off, Last question, because this was a late entrant on Twitter, and I want to make sure that we get them all on Twitter, and this is the only playoff preview podcast we're going to do. We're going to do more podcasts as the series goes on and after some of these games and break down some of the games. Uh, Which Cavalier do you think has the most to prove in the postseason this year? Wow. Boy, that's a great question. Right? Um, Whew. Well, um, I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a champion. So I agree. I don't. It's not any of the guys who've won it, and that includes the coach. If for all you tie haters out there, uh, so it's <laughs> not them. Um, boy, I mean, I, I got to pick somebody. So I guess uh, I guess I'm gonna go with George Hill. Okay. Is, this, is he is he on the back nine? Um, or is he, I mean, you know, is coming here, playing with LeBron, he says he's got a chance to win a title, does he take that and run with it? So I'm going to go George Hill, man. I think that's good. My answer is Rodney Hood. I think this is a guy who, there's a big decision looming on him this offseason when it comes to his contract. Mm-hmm. This is somebody who was dreadful last year in the playoffs against the Golden State Warriors, and I know that it was, with, it was the Warriors, so, you know, you have to put that in perspective. Um, but I think there are legitimate questions about his toughness, about um, how he handles pressure, and that's what the playoffs are all about. And if he can be that X-factor type offensive threat for the Cavs, and if he can be, I think that would be huge, having that added weapon, that added piece uh, that maybe you can start to rely on more and more and more. So I think he's got to prove that he can be that guy, because... Um, that's the guy that the Cavs were hoping to get in the trade from Utah. Good call. Good stuff. Game one Sunday. Looking forward to it, my man. Okay. Yep. 